0: How many of you have ever you've ever come through something and you you look back on it and you say I don't know how. <laughs> Woo hoo hoo. Come on, you need to wave a hand cuz there's some people around you. You know, they're going through some stuff right now and boy, I, there's there's a message that I have today in my heart. If you're going through some stuff right now, get ready, get ready, get ready. We're going to turn to the book of Micah. Micah. Been a while, maybe, since you've been in Micah. (laughs) (laughs) Micah chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 3 through 5, and then we're going to jump... Back to 1 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 14. Let's read together Micah chapter 6 verse 3. O my people. Let's read it out loud. O my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. 1 Samuel 11:14 Samuel said to the people, "Come on. Let's go to Gilgal and renew the kingship there." You ready for the word? Take your seats everybody for the next couple of hours. One day. <laughs> Micah. Everybody say Micah. Micah, one of the minor prophets. Perhaps you're wondering why do we have minor prophets? Why are they called minor prophets? Well, they're called minor prophets for one reason. The last 12 books of the Old Testament are known as the minor prophets Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. There are 12 of them. The last 12 books of the Bible, they're they're called minor prophets. And the only reason they're called minor prophets is because of the length of their books. That's the only reason. Their ministry and their prophetic messages were just as significant as the four major prophets. The four major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Isaiah, out of the four major prophets... His book is the longest. He has sixty-six chapters, as far as chapters. Jeremiah's book is longer in content. He has more words. Jeremiah has more words in his chapters than Isaiah. So, word-wise, Jeremiah's book is longer. I'm just kind of giving you a little, just a little insight. Sixty-six books in the Bible. Thirty-seven in the Old Testament. Or sorry, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And the shortest book in the Bible is, you know what it is? It's one of the minor prophets. It's Obadiah. Obadiah has one chapter, 21 verses. It's the oldest. Let me just say it's the shortest book. Of the old, in the Old Testament of the minor prophets. So that's just a little background. These guys are not minor. You should read their books. When you get to heaven, Micah's going to ask you, did you read my book? Of course, all of us know, pretty much all of us know the most famous verse in the book of Micah is Micah chapter 6, the very, the very chapter that we're in. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee but to, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God, with your God. Micah lived and he prophesied in Judah during the reigns of King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah around 720 B.C. He was a contemporary with Isaiah around the same time. Micah also prophesied through the crucial years that were surrounding the takeover of Israel by the Babylons, by the Assyrian Empire, which he also predicted in Micah chapter 1, the first chapter of his book. Now in Micah's time, the people of both Judah, which was the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom, had abandoned the ways of God. Both Israel and Judah. Judah to the south, Israel to the north. Both nations had completely abandoned the ways of God during Micah's time. Jerusalem and Jericho. Jerusalem and Samaria the capitals of these kingdoms the two jewish kingdoms they were centers of idol worship and bad living the rich oppressed the poor and the law of the torah the five books of the first five books of the bible the laws of moses were totally rejected so Micah addressed both Israel and Judah's injustice toward the lowly. Very clearly in his prophecy and in his, in, his, in his message, he addressed the injustice toward the lowly, shown by underhanded business dealings, robbery, mistreatment of women and children, And he addressed a government that lived in luxury off of the hard work of its nation's people. This servant of the Lord made an impassioned plea for the people to return to God. Most significantly, as we read in our text, Michael conveyed the voice of God directly to the nation. In the first person, the Lord himself pleading in verse 3 of chapter 6, what have I done? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. And when no one stepped forth to answer, God reminded them, His people of His good works on their behalf, in demonstrating His love and His gracious care for them, bringing them out of their slavery, bringing them out of their bondage. Jehovah then concludes by commanding them to remember. Now when God says remember, we need to take note. And God said, I want you to remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal." Acacia Grove was the last camp they made in the wilderness. It was the last camp that was made in the wilderness on the east side of the Jordan. While Gilgal was the first camp, as we've already seen in this series, Gilgal was the first camp that they made after crossing the Jordan River. And most interestingly, in verse 5, God wants them to specifically remember their journey into Gilgal when I, he says, when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. To teach you, I did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. Now let's go back 340 years earlier and let's hear the prophet Samuel's Passionate call to Israel. Come on, come on. I love this version. Come on. Can you just hear the passion in his voice? Come on. Let's go to Gilgal and renew the kingship there. The passion of the prophet Samuel is found in these words, come on, come on. And the word come means to walk. The word come means to walk. It means, and it refers specifically to the pathways or the behavior of one's life to walk the pathways, the behavior of one's life. Now we know that Israel was commanded to walk in the ways and the principles of the Lord. Their behavior was to display to the people around them. In all of these nations in which they were going into, their behavior was to display to the people around them that they belonged to God. That they were God's people. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 9 says, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in His ways, walk in His ways, that word ways means commands, divine commands, principles, truth, The Lord will establish you as His holy people as He solemnly promised to do. Then, verse 10, all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. Samuel understood when he called the people, come on, come on, get up, let's walk. Come on, let's go to Gilgal. He understood that at Gilgal, the nation of Israel under Joshua's leadership renewed their covenant with God, reinstated his commands, reentered covenant with him, choosing to live by his ways, his commands, his principles once more. Samuel knew it was there at Gilgal that they reinstated Jehovah's kingship. It's interesting, that word kingship, when you begin to study it, it means the dignity of a king. And it was at Gilgal that they restored the dignity of their king, of their God, as well as it was there they made Saul king earthly king, but it was there that they offered peace offerings unto the Lord, and they came back into covenant with God through circumcision. And they restored Jehovah's dignity. Love that. And they began walking once again as a people, as God's people. They begin walking once again in His commands and his principles, their lives displaying the behavior of their life, displaying once again that they belong to God, and they're living for God. Today we continue renewing a kingdom-principled life, part five, renewing a kingdom-principled life. Let's go to Gilgal. Come on, everybody say it. Let's go to Gilgal. And renew the kingdom there. From what transpired with God's people at Gilgal, we are learning really valuable lessons to be renewed. This is our year of renewal. Come on, a year of renewal. And we're learning valuable lessons in being renewed to live a principled lifestyle where it's obvious It's being displayed to those around about us. We belong to God. We're God's people. And we're being renewed in this understanding. Going back to Gilgal. So much happened at Gilgal. Valuable lessons that we're learning. And we're going to learn another today. To live a principled lifestyle as God's kingdom people. For we were once in darkness, but we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness. And we've been brought into the kingdom of God's dear son. Aren't you happy about that? Life is totally changed. Because we're no longer of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're of another world. And we're making choices. To live our lives and to bring our lives into subjection. To To be in the kingdom means we are a subject in God's kingdom. We are subjecting ourselves to our King, who is Jesus, and we're seeking to live our lives by His ways, His commands, His principles, so that it's evidence. Our life is our testimony. It's evidence to those around us that there's something different. So today, Joshua chapter 5 verse 10. We're going to go back to Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10. The Israelites celebrated Passover while they were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. We looked at that last week. But we're going to pick up from verse 11. The day after Passover... Uh, The people ate food that grew in that land. I love this subject. I love the subject of food. You're looking at me so spiritual. Anybody else in the house ready to hear a little bit about some food up in there? That day after Passover, the people ate food that grew in that land. They ate bread. They ate bread without yeast and roasted grain. Even today, when you go to the Middle East, roasted grain is right at the top. It's it's right at the top of, of... Every home pretty much has roasted grain. It's just something that that part of the world loves. Now, the next morning, the manna from heaven stopped coming. The next morning, the manna from heaven stopped coming. This happened the first day after the people ate the food that grew in the land of Canaan. From that time on, the Israelites did not get the manna from heaven. Now, in this verse, verse 12, I want you to notice this. The next morning, the next morning, the manna from heaven, the manna from heaven stopped coming. Then, at the end of the verse, from that time on, the Israelites did not get the manna from heaven. Heaven is emphasized here twice in one verse. Manna from heaven. And when anything is emphasized twice, especially in one verse, listen up. There's something important. Heaven is emphasized in this verse to reiterate that manna was nothing of man's doings. It was God's miraculous provision. It was faithfully supplied six times a week to the hungry Israelites throughout their 40 years in the wilderness. And as suddenly as it had begun, it ended. Demonstrating that its provision, it was not a matter of chance, but of divine providence. That's why it's called manna from heaven. It's identified as heavenly food. God himself being the provider. But there's also something most important that we must take note of as well. And you've got to hear this because from this we're going, to, we're going to learn another great lesson from Gilgal. This all happened at Gilgal. The manna from heaven did not stop until the day after. Everybody say until the day after. Say it again. The manna from heaven did not stop until the day after they ate the provision. I'm about ready to preach, son. Until they ate the provision of the promised land. And that happened at Gilgal the day after. Now, let's recall the final words that God spoke to Israel from our text. In Micah chapter 6, verse 5, remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. I want you to connect the day after with that word, my faithfulness. I want you to connect these words the day after. The day after, connect that, those words with My faithfulness. With the manna stopping at Gilgal, the day after they ate the provision of the promised land, God was teaching His people of His faithfulness, wanting them to remember they can trust Him to be a wonderful timekeeper, and they can trust Him to be a supernatural provider to the very end. Aren't you grateful that it does not say a week before they entered the promised land, the manna stopped, and once they got into the promised land, they were starving, emaciated, they were, they were just in terrible state. No, the day after, the day after, oh, God is teaching them they can trust Him, that what He says He will do, that He is a wonderful timekeeper and He is a supernatural provider right to the very end to be renewed in a kingdom-principled life. Number four, return to a place of trust in God's unending faithfulness. Return to a place of trust in God's unending faithfulness. To be renewed in a kingdom principled life it's going to require and I'm going to preach it now listen today I hold before you a truth that will keep you when the river is at flood stage and it seems impossible today I hold before you a truth when there seems to be no way through or the city wall is massive and it seems to be immovable Oh, listen to me, church. I'm going to preach a truth today that our God is an awesome God and He's faithful to the very end. Though we may not see the way through, our God makes a way where there seems to be no way. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you did it. But I'm grateful. Listen to me, no matter what's going on in your life right now, stress, health issues, finances that have you in a bind, wishing you had never married or desperately wanting to get married, a child or children who have placed an ache in your soul, the death of someone you love, whatever pain you are in, God's steadfast love for you will never, ever end. Look at this verse of Scripture, Psalm 136 and verse 21. God, God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. His faithful love endures forever. Look at those last few words, those last four words. Every verse of a hundred Psalm 136 ends with those four words. His faithful love endures. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. His faithful love endures forever. The scripture says his mercies are due. Every morning there is a dawn that is coming after the night, for our God is faithful. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9 says, Know that Yahweh your God is God. Come on, He's God. He's like that. <laughs> know that Yahweh your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps His gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commands. A thousand generations is equivalent to eternal generations. It's equivalent to forever How faithful is our God? How faithful is our God? Listen to this scripture. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 5, we ate fish. Fish. We ate fish in Egypt and got it free. What? You're just not thinking right. You got it free in the land of slavery? Anyway, we ate fish in Egypt and got it free to say nothing of the cucumbers and melons, the leeks and onions and garlic. But nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. Nothing tastes good out here. All we get is say it three times like they did. Have you ever complained once, twice, three times, in a matter of one verse? When God's people despised, how faithful is our God? Look at this. When God's people despised God's provision, God did not discontinue dispatching the manna from heaven. That's a faithful God right there. I think you and I would have had the tendency to say, okay, I'm taking this manna back. When God's people despised God's provision, God did not discontinue dispatching the manna from heaven, nor did He cease to supply it, even when the unbelieving generation turned away from Him at Kadesh Barnea and wandered in the wilderness. Think of it. God continued to feed an unbelieving generation until they grew and entered the promised land that is a faithful god right there 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 says but even if we are faithless he will still be full of faith for he never wavers in his faithfulness to us can you give him glory can you give him praise can you magnify him today Finally, when God brought the children of Israel into Canaan, guess what? When they finally got into Canaan, crossed the Jordan River, and came to Gilgal, guess what? They entered the promised land just at the, commitments of the commencement of harvest. Just at the commencement of harvest season. I love this. Joshua 5, 11 says they did eat. I love this from the King James Version. Look at this. It says they did eat of the old corn of the land and parched corn on the selfsame day. Boy, that intrigued me. What is old corn or maize? What is that? And what's this parched corn? I begin to study. I began to dig down. Scholars tell us that the old corn was found in the storehouses of the fleeing residents who saw God open a Jordan, saw God's people coming through by a miracle power. They realized we, we in trouble up in here. And they took off and they they fled and they left their storehouses full of corn. And so uh, they went, the people of God went and found that old corn in the storehouses. And guess what? The parched corn was roasted after being found in their abandoned fields. The parched corn was already ready for them in the fields. And their storehouses are full of the previous harvest. So on that day, they ate the old corn and the parched corn. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I want to close with this quote. And I want you to look at this. You need to see this. God is always faithful to answer. Sometimes his answer is a much desired yes. Sometimes his answer is a merciful no. Sometimes his answer is a faith building not yet. And sometimes, sometimes, when an answer cannot be found, his answer is simply, trust me. His answer is simply, trust me. Everyone stand, please. Boy, I just feel lifted up today by the word of God, don't you? Right now, you're facing a wall that seems so thick, immovable. Right now, there's just some hostility around you. Right now, finances are really, really in a bind. Right now, there's some serious stress. Right now, there's some health issues, maybe not with you in particular, but in your family. Right now, the future doesn't seem to be very bright. Perhaps you lost someone that you really love. A loved one. Let's go to Gilgal. Let's go to Gilgal. Come on. Come on. Let's get up and walk. Let's get up and return to that place. Where on the self-same day. They ate of the old corn. And the parched corn. And as soon as they ate. The manna from heaven stopped. The day after they ate, what a faithful God. God will not leave you comfortless. God will not leave you without help, for He is a present help in the time of trouble. So if any of these situations are touching you right now and the pain of it is very real, I want you to lift your hand. Come on, all through. I want to finish by just praying and encouraging us to return to Gilgal. Come on, let's go to Gilgal. Let's remember that in these situations, God has got a lesson for us to learn, to teach us once more of His faithfulness and of His goodness. He who brought you this far will not leave you. He who's made a way in the past will make a way as our confidence and as we put our trust in him. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we look unto you, the author, Lord Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What you have begun in us, you are faithful to bring it to completion, as Mary said. Father, we want to thank you and we want to praise you and we want to honor you, God. For your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. And here we stand today. We lift our hands to a faithful God. And we once more put our trust and our confidence in you. I'm getting up and I'm walking to Gilgal right now. I've been sitting in this depression long enough. I've been seated in this confusion long enough. I've been sitting in this f- faithless situation long enough. I rise up today and I, I return. I, I, I go back to that work of the Holy Spirit in my life, bringing me into a place of trust once more. Confidence and assurance that you make crooked places straight, Father. I call for supernatural provision to come to this house. I call for supernatural provision to come to families right now. I call for supernatural provision. I call for it, Father. Divine healing, supernatural healing to come to bodies right now. Come on, you need healing in your body or your family. Lift your hands. In Jesus' name, I feel faith in this house. We're coming back to a place right now. Come on. God is removing and ministering, taking that stress off of you. I come against every worry, every, every aspect of anxiety in the name of Jesus. Sleepless nights. I call for sleep to come. Somebody in this, some individuals in this, you've, you've had sleepless nights. I call for sleep to come to you in Jesus' name. Tonight you sleep kamam toto. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you and we bless you and we worship you that you're a faithful God. You're a faithful God and we honor you.